You're listening to Making Waves, fresh ideas in freshwater science. Making Waves is a monthly podcast where we talk about new ideas in freshwater science and why they matter to you. Making Waves is brought to you with support by the Society for Freshwater Science. Joining me today is Dr. Jeffrey Muehlbauer, who recently completed his PhD at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. He'll be discussing with me his new paper, published in Ecology earlier this year, How Wide is a Stream? Spatial Extent of the Potential Stream Signature in Terrestrial Food Webs Using Meta-Analysis. Cross-ecosystem subsidies um, is a popular topic right now in ecology, and most of the, st- the studies on it have looked at the magnitude of the energy transfer or the material transfer from one ecosystem to another. Um, but you and your colleagues took a slightly different approach, a, not an unstudied approach, but a different approach um, to looking at the importance of stream subsidies to terrestrial food webs. Could you describe your um, motivation for the study and, and the pertinent question in ecology that, that you were looking to answer? I guess it was like 2010, and I was sitting here trying to come up with a dissertation project. And I was really interested in this idea of cross-ecosystem subsidies and subsidies to and from streams, of course, because I'm a, I work in streams and stream ecology. And I, I was reading all these studies, and, you know, they're, they're all done within two meters of the stream or at the stream bank and so forth. And I thought, well, you know, it's, it's really interesting that these, these subsidies are occurring, but is it really important if, it, if all the action happens right at the stream bank and doesn't really go on any farther than that? And then I, I, my advisor was a geom- geomorphologist, and so he's always talking about geomorphic banks of the stream and the, the stream boundary and so forth from a hydrological perspective and a geomorphic perspective. And I got to thinking, well, you know, if I'm doing these things in a food web kind of perspective, it turns out that my food web is much wider than the stream. So what I should be thinking about is this, this stream signature or this stream boundary from a biological or a food web perspective instead. And that's, I mean, it, it says that in the title of the paper, how wide is the stream? That's kind of where that all originated from. And that the meta-analysis kind of just came out of the, the initial literature search of the preparing for the dissertation and fieldwork and so on that's been done on a similar topic that I'm still getting ready to publish. And so I was sitting in the, in the library at Clement Talkers Institute in Germany, and he, he literally just came in the door and started talking to me about, well, let's let's do a meta-analysis on this. And it sounded like a great idea, so that's, that's where we're at. So you synthesized a bunch of data from studies you found through different search engines, but how did you um, standardize across studies so that you could compare the results? Because I'm sure everyone used a different methodology and different technique to look at these questions. Yeah, and that was certainly new for me is this, this idea of an effect size and meta-analysis. And what, what I ended up using was, um, it turns out that a lot of these studies, they of course they don't standardize how they, how they did it because they weren't asking the exact same question I was. And so I would use the, the value that was in the stream or the value that was at the stream bank, for instance, if they sampled benthic productivity or if they sampled at zero meters away from the stream, I would use that as my maximum value and say, well, that's the 100% stream signature, for instance. And then I, I set decay curves at using that as my maximum, and so everything else is a, a percentage of that and came out as a ratio. And that's where these 50% and 10% ratios in the what I'm calling the stream signature come from. That's 50% is where I get half of that maximum value at some distance away from the stream. So we'd say, well, that, that food web there looks like it's containing 50% of the stream abundance or biomass or whatever that, that we're seeing at the, in the stream itself or at zero meters right at the stream bank. 
and that, that worked out pretty well as a way of standardizing across all these various data collection methods and studies and so forth. So you um, compiled all the results into a single data set, and then, yeah, you, you looked at different decay curves, so whether it was linearly changing from uh, from the stream bank into the riparian area or if it dropped off really quickly, and sort of what was the overall finding? Yeah, I, I that was that started out as more of just, a, you know, I'm trying to fit these models, and to fit a model, you need some kind of idea of what the curve should look like, and in reading through the literature, I realized, well, there's actually no no consensus on this even. There, there are people who are fitting linear decay models, which didn't make too much sense to me, but sometimes the data would fit that pretty well. And there were a lot of others that would fit this this negative exponential, which is just random diffusion through space. I associate it with, like, opening a jar of a chemical and how that chemical disperses through the room. And so you could think of bugs as kind of randomly dispersing through space as they leave the stream. They just get kind of blown away through the wind or something. And then there were some other ones that used this um, inverse power or negative power function, which is similar to a ne negative exponential, but it just has a more steeper decline but then a really long tail. And um, the, the idea there, at least in some papers, was, well, maybe this shows some kind of non-random dispersal. Um, if you want to anthropomorphize it, you can say that bugs are wanting to stay near the stream, for instance, because there's that steep decay. So there's more bugs than you would expect based on a random distribution or near the stream. But then there's also some that just get very, very far away because of that long tail of that distribution. And when we fit the models, it turned out that, by and large, it was that, that inverse power, that negative power function that, that fit most of the data the best, with some caveats, some midges, for instance, didn't fit that at all very well. They fit a negative exponential. But most of the other insects and most of the, the curves I fit were best fit by that inverse power, um, which, again, you know, there's, there's that very steep decay, so a lot of that stream signal stays very near the stream. So all those studies that were doing their studies near two meters or less from the stream, they were somewhat justified in that, it turned out. But then there's also this very long tail that comes out. And so I'm looking at this 10% stream signature that's half a kilometer or more away from the stream. There's, you still pick up 10% of the maximum subsidy amount and making it that far, which I thought was pretty unexpected that it would go that, that distance. And so along with these curves, you, you sort of... Uh looked at other factors that might influence, and it seems that it seems uh, intuitive that there might be other factors that influence how far the subsidies extend from the stream. So uh, what factors did you look at, and which ones um, turned out to be most interesting or most important? Yeah, I, I looked at quite a few, and unfortunately, just due to the nature of meta-analysis, I had to limit it to the ones that I actually could say something about, those ones that had enough studies that had actually looked at it. And so those turned out to be things like... Um, primary, or not primary productivity, but just the productivity of the stream, which I had to quantify kind of coarsely as high productivity or low me or medium productivity. Um, I looked at the study method as well. Uh, a lot of the studies that I were using were just pure dispersal studies of how far do these bugs fly. But then we also had some based on biters, for instance, that would track this, this density of these insects, and so we used them as a surrogate. And then I had some other studies as well that used food webs or... Um, toxins in the environment, for instance, and we were able to use that to track the extent that which a stream signature was going through the environment. So I had I had that study method and aquatic productivity, and then I was really interested in these kind of geomorphic questions about stream order, and if we have a very large stream, is the stream signature larger or smaller than it would be in a tiny little stream? And if we have these very sinuous or meandering channels, does that encourage more transmission of this subsidy, does the stream signature get larger in those areas where the geomorphology of the stream is more complex? 
and it turned out those, for the meta-analysis, at least weren't actually that interesting. <laughs> we weren't able to get anything out of channel geomorphology. It was pretty much just a hodgepodge. Straight channels had the same signature as meandering channels and, and so on. And then stream, stream order, we had this kind of weird effect where the smallest streams have the smallest stream signature, which made some kind of intuitive sense to me, I guess. There's just kind of a limitation on how much a very small stream can output to a large terrestrial environment, so we'd expect the signature to be smaller there. But then we, we had this kind of bump to middle-order streams, and then not, nothing much happened beyond that. It was, there wasn't this continual increase in the stream signature as streams got bigger beyond those very smallest first-order streams. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then, but really it was a biological story, I think, in my opinion, that this meta-analysis showed aquatic productivity, for instance. It, the highest levels of aquatic productivity had the largest stream signature, which again makes some, some sense to me. You have more productivity being output from the stream, you'd think that they would extend farther in the, into the terrestrial landscape, and that's what the data seemed to suggest. So that, that was that was good, I guess. And study method as well, we saw this interesting result where the dispersal, for instance, had the smallest stream signature. We, we'd see bugs flying some physical distance, but then the extent that we'd actually see in these food web methods of stable isotopes and similar, that went much farther. So the bugs themselves may only fly some distance, but their energy actually gets recycled and recycled and recycled again, and it ultimately makes it much farther away from the stream than you'd expect only based on these insects flying alone. And that wasn't necessarily something I expected, and so I thought that was pretty cool as well. Sort of what do you think the the big takeaways from, from the study are for ecology or for our understanding of the importance of streams in a, in a broader context? Now, for me, it's, it, it comes back to the motivation in the beginning that, you know, it, I, I'm a stream ecologist and I think of myself as standing, you know, boot deep in a stream. But if we're actually thinking about the food web, well, it turns out that a lot of that food web, a lot of that action happens on land very near the land, but in some cases in the riparian zone and even beyond it. And so if we're, we're really concerned about the food web of the stream itself, we need to broaden our boundaries a little bit. Um, we, we have this idea that, that, you know, the stream is delimited by these geomorphic boundaries at the channel banks or by the presence of surface water. And that's fine if you're a geomorphologist and that's fine if you're a hydrologist, but if you're actually a food web ecologist, maybe you need to think a little broader and think to yourself, well, there's actually this riparian zone that's pretty streamy as well, so to speak, and it's pretty interesting to study if you want to get the whole picture of what's going on in and around the stream. And so that, that to me was super interesting and I, I hope encourages stream ecologists to actually get a little out of the surface water a little bit more and, and study the food webs that are adjacent to the stream a little more as well. This podcast was brought to you with support from the Society for Freshwater Science. For more information about this speaker, the podcast, or the society, please visit www.freshwater-science.org. Be sure to join us each month for more fresh ideas in freshwater science. Thanks for listening.